What is the libertarian immigration conundrum? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. This is actually part two of a deep dive I started in the last episode with Keith Knight, who is still with me now. He is of the Libertarian Institute. And this is what I would say may be like a true buddy dive. I invited a buddy, a dive buddy, along on a deep dive. And the libertarian immigration conundrum comes from the fact that in a free society, we could have open borders. But as the society is less and less free, does the libertarian still advocate for open borders in the spirit of take the liberties where you can find them? Or do you have to compromise a little bit because open borders in an unfree society can create detrimental problems? So we wanted to talk a little bit more about that and also cover the White House's immigration agenda. Are they up to something in creating an immigration crisis just so they can bring down a much bigger policy that will foster a resurgence in U.S. hegemony in the Western Hemisphere. That's how big I think this gets. And we cover both Kamala Harris's appearance at the Summit of the Americas, as well as the White House executive order on immigration, the immigration crisis that Biden issued as soon as he came out, uh, as soon as he was inaugurated. is one of the first things that he did. So this is a long-term plan. They It's underway. I think it's not gotten a lot of press. We're going to talk about their agenda, and we're going to talk about the libertarian solutions, both in the society we have and also in the ideal. So Thank you so much for joining us again, and thank you so much, Keith Knight, for staying with us. So, Keith, we just finished part one. It's going to be a couple of days before people hear part two, but we're going to keep going, and I'm going to pick up right where we left off, if you don't mind, or I should say with the next topic that I had on my list, which is, what are the policy causes? There's a a thing that the White House put out in February, like February 2nd, 2021, which was pretty much one of the first things next to like plotting a coup in Haiti. I think it might've been the second thing that Biden did as president. And it's this comprehensive immigration reform where he went through and by executive order, basically erased all of Trump's executive orders. I don't know what that's all about. If that they were all setups or they were working or I don't know. That's when I start wondering like what's real and what's theater. I really don't know. But it's very clear what they were putting in place. And it's this, it's this root causes agenda whereby they identify a bunch of like massive social issues that are the justification for most of their domestic policies. And then they pin on that all the immigration. And by creating an immigration crisis on the border, they get Americans on left and right to need to deal with that issue. And their solutions are not only domestic changes in policy, maybe security issues, all of that. They've got terrorism, drugs, blah, blah, blah. But they're also justifying, using that to justify to other countries, our, quote, right to interfere with their country and to us, <clears throat> the necessity or the justification or the wisdom of using our tax dollars to actually bring certain corporate services like banking and other infrastructure items to other countries. It's really amazing to me. And it's consistent with what I've seen from the beginning from Biden, that there's this giant shift from world dominance to regional hegemony, that the United States is kind of taking back the entire Western hemisphere. And this is how they're doing it. And and I've got just a lot of line items here. So I'm going to let you react first, and then we're going to dig in. Well, it's a uh, classic expression. He who pays the piper calls the tune. So once the government prints more money, they don't have to work for it. They just got access to the central bank or they tax more. Once they start paying for these things, well, they then can call the tune. They then are in control. Just as, you know, when people say, oh, you're funded by Soros, you're funded by the Koch brothers, what they're saying is you're just a stupid puppet for them. So that is the goal of something like this, to make these into puppet states where uh, they uh, are completely reliant on loans from whether it's the World Bank or America directly 
that's who uh, calls the shots afterwards. And people who don't play ball, whether it's David Koresh or Saddam Hussein or Milosevic, they they don't have uh, good endings no matter what. And I would uh, call back to something you said in the previous episode about consumers and producers both. And I've noticed this about the, it's, I don't know if you want to call it mercantilism or what, but they are going into these countries and it helps their production to the extent they want to drive down wages by having open borders for labor and stuff, or they want to drive down costs of factories there, whatever. But, uh, and I always notice this in Southeast Asia, thinking of like the Korean War and the Vietnam War, they were not only destroying the people's ability to produce their own stuff and converting their labor to uh, commoditized labor, but they were also eliminating the stuff that they produced and creating consumers for the kind of commodity goods that they were creating. So I feel like there's a bit of mercantilism in what they're doing by, quote, banking the poor. They're creating customers for banks, but they're also creating credit for the other stuff, and they are changing the economics from the uh, both from the production level and the consumption level. Oh yeah, the shaping the uh, the, the mind of a c- consumer. You, you got to keep them busy. You got them kindergarten through twelfth grade. Uh, I'm sure uh, some of that. Uh, cons- just as uh, producers want to advertise to us, governments are working on behalf of advertisers constantly. Uh, I agree. I think they're just, it's the corpo governmental super state and, uh, or continuum. Okay. So I had jotted down a few of the real policy causes, like in the article I wrote so many years ago when our debt was half. And I wrote those policy causes down, but I did notice that Kamala Harris at the summit of the Americas, as well as Biden in this executive order, identified other causes. But I want to rattle off what I think the policy causes are. And I'm curious to know if you agree with me or if you would add any or take any away. So uh, over there, like, why do people leave where they're from? I think uh, uh, historically, like my ancestors, they came over because they wanted opportunity. They wanted to eat what they killed. They fit in with the culture or they thought they might fit in with the culture over here, that the economy driven culture. And my Irish ancestors stayed, whereas my uh, great grandfather from Syria left the baby here, my grandmother, in an orphanage and went back. So he didn't like it and there was no safety net. So he left her with the church. They were some kind of Orthodox Christian or something. And he went back. And that that's what made, uh, despite ethnicity and stuff, that made a certain cultural cohesion. And, it, and it's a reason that people would leave. And that's fine. You, you're, you were born into the wrong culture and you find the right one. That's great. That's what open borders are for. However, when you go to Syria and drop 30,000 bombs a year on them, you are spreading refugees involuntary refugees, really, like wildfire. And then you tell your people, like for Afghanistan or Ukraine, well, we caused all these problems. Now we have to open our borders to them. And they hate us, by the way. So sorry about that. So so militarily, you blow them up. Politically, you infiltrate, you corrupt their government. I don't need to go through examples of that, probably. Economically, we talked earlier in the previous episode about manipulating trade and that picks winners and losers across the board. So those are also economic factors, uh, even more on the ground in there as you insert whatever corporations that have an advantage, Walmart and China and stuff like that. And then here, again, just to reiterate, welfare and labor laws put wage floors for domestic workers, but not for migrant workers because migrant workers will be illegal or they have some caveats that they're allowed to do certain work without hitting those things. Like I think Nancy Pelosi's husband with the tuna fish in Guam, like they don't have to use minimum wage laws. I don't know. That could be slander, but I think it's true. Uh, So check the facts on that. That's just what I think I remembered. And the last thing I would say is there's a so perverse incentive and moral hazard in this human rights industry where when I was doing research for the show, I happened upon a grant, a, a funding opportunity memo from the federal government saying, if you're, you know, a human rights provider, here's a, a massive amounts of money for you to just find some people to relocate and make sure that they have services and everything. And they do. They And I've talked to people who have seen in their own countries billboards that say, wouldn't you like to go to America? Like, come, we'll help you. We'll give you $15,000 or something like that. It's, I think the example I had was the Cape Verde Islands to Brockton, Massachusetts. And I always notice that it's weird that there's like, a Somali population in Minneapolis. Um, I could be wrong yeah. if somebody wants to correct the record on that, but I believe that there is this 
artificial. And the NGOs that do it have a lower uh, accountability and transparency than the government does. I did not realize that they have lower standards for accountability and transparency. So you're really not going to see it. It's like the mercenaries, the military mercenaries, like um, craft and stuff, like you don't have the same answerability. And that could be a way that the big government guys hide some of the some of the details of their policies. So that's a lot. But I think those are the real causes. Yeah, those uh, certainly have uh, d- direct effects. Um, Omar Mateen, for example, had uh, the people that he loved in Syria and Iraq getting murdered. So he immigrated to America. It's not like he you know, went through some official process, but he came here and then murdered uh, 50 people in the Pulse nightclub, got on the phone and said, you guys uh, are murdering women and children in Iraq and Syria. Do you yeah. ever see the picture of his father in the Oval Office? No, I didn't. So I don't know what that guy's story really was, but I don't think we've seen heard the whole story, but I understand the point that you're making. And I do also refer to an article in the New York Times and Judge Napolitano's one of his last shows about how the U.S. government has been responsible for the majority of terrorist arrests, that they have been instrumental in radicalizing the majority of the people up to that point who were arrested for terrorism. So... Uh, we could go down a rabbit hole of saying that, again, we have a pathocracy whose goal in certain um, types of immigration is cultural disruption at best and downright crime. Uh, because, again, we have this, the government is selling you security. And what's the best way to gin up customers by making sure they're insecure? Of course. And yes. And, uh, you know, bin Laden was part of the Mujahideen operating with the Reagan administration. The point is, is at some point you have to dismiss all of the murder and say, you know what? The people in those countries, they really don't care. That could never upset them. Well, just as people were pissed off about 9-11, those people are also pissed off and a lot of them seek revenge. Maybe the uh, Mateen thing was an alignment of interests. Maybe it was a false flag and we just haven't heard the whole thing yet. Either way, this is the primary cause of the actual terrorism that does exist in the absence of the FBI. I I do know a New York Times article where uh, 14 of the 22 uh, that were arrested were all FBI informants. So (laughs) I'm very uh, well aware of uh, of that as well. Um, yeah. but, I know uh, the, you wouldn't be here if you weren't at least okay with that type of speculation. And uh, yeah, I like the way you strike the balance. You always separate uh, facts from opinions. I love that too. Thanks so much. Um, th- those are uh, d- definitely a uh, factor when it comes to, we have a lot of Pakistani and Afghani immigrants. Well, there's a whole drone operation in Pakistan. Needless to say, there is a war in Afghanistan. You mentioned Iraqi immigrants going into uh, places like uh, Sweden. Sweden. And of course, there's been a bombing campaign all through the 90s and a sanctions campaign, which makes uh, countries worse off. Um, But uh, I still think uh, the primary issue is that those countries don't embrace uh, systems of private property and uh, and free exchange. So yeah, as as bad as the US government is, uh the, those uh countries still have the primary issues that they do because they haven't embraced those ideas. Absolutely. Great great point. And I feel like the deep state made that decision a long time ago, like especially Brzezinski and I think David Rockefeller also has quotes like this where they had to slow down the West because if you're going to have a world government, it's like gears on a on a bicycle. You can't have them going in uh, one going really fast and one going really slow. So they tried to push up the east and slow down the west because they had that nefarious purpose in mind. But if they hadn't, you would have had. If you ever look at the 19th century before the Fed and the um, there's no inflation at all, but wages rise. So yes. the all the productivity gains are they're either captured by labor or they're split with labor. And then, of course, if you have like a functioning stock market, that labor is also capital because they buy shares with that. And then you had the, the pension funds were before IRAs were 45% of the market. So there was no this capital labor division that seems like I am uh, tapping into. I don't mean to. I'm just saying if you had that model, that beacon on a hill, which I think is like a really terrible reference. I can't remember what it is, but if you had people looking the entire world, there would have been a domino effect, not of communism like JFK feared, but a domino effect of liberty as the prosperity of the U.S. before the Fed and before World War One and all that. Um, if 
that had t- continued on its trajectory, you would have had the entire world would have had to follow suit. They could not have kept people in their places and you could have opened the borders then. And then you would, and you would not need a welfare safety net or anything They would have done everything just like my grandparents did and come in and ate what they killed. And even their own countries would have had to have increased freedom just would have had to, in my opinion. Now, uh, another cause of not just immigration, but the, the fact that America had so much of a free market and in some sectors still really does. If you look at healthcare, some are so disgustingly regulated, it's impossible, a fascist system. But then you get something new at the time like Lasix and it goes up in quality and down in cost and then it attracts the regulators. So there are so many aspects of America that are so free that really are a beacon to the world that that causes a lot of people to want to come here. A cause of uh, problems with these immigrants is once uh, once people start going to school, kindergarten through 12th grade, through university, then they see it in the media, all this anti-American bigotry saying Amer- the thing about America is slavery. Yes, slavery existed everywhere on every continent since uh, before it was people a, it was could a tech write. Thing. It was a technology um, thing. Um, it changed with technology. It would have changed yeah. here. It, it changed without a war everywhere else. It would have changed here. Yeah, it's like the U.S. and Haiti. There was this big Haitian rebellion. Everywhere else they were able to uh, d- do it in the absence of a war. But the, look at these things, these things that make people come here. Uh, once they come here, they then hate the place that they are and seek to fundamentally transform it in so many ways. This causes so much unnecessary conflict yeah. with immigrants. That's propaganda. And, and, and the like. So it the propaganda is yeah. the reason not for them coming here necessarily, but there being more conflict than there otherwise would be once they are here. And I'm sure that, that uh, I'm not sure, but <clears throat> it would surprise me if the human rights industry wasn't full of uh, woke ideology in everything that they present to these people. They're probably teaching them English with like, uh, you know, political you know, like Common Core, they they don't actually do anything. Like they, there's like there's no content in Common Core, and it's just you know, it's it's uh, white men are bad. Parse the sentence, and, and I feel like they probably do the same thing with that first contact kind of thing. Like they've got it all sewn up from the beginning, kind of like cradle to career, but with people who are just learning the language. And of course, uh, the big ones. They say the thing about capitalism is that it, is that it really uh, brought to uh, life child labor. They almost explicitly say free markets are the thing that created and prolonged child labor, as if kids weren't working in the 1600s or 1400s or 1300s. <laughs> as Did that coincide parent- <laughs> with uh, the end of infant mortality? Uh, uh, you know what I'm never, saying? Like they never they looked were, at any other explanation. Before they were working, they were dying. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's quite possible that they were happy to go pick the blueberries while mom worked in the field. Like, that's an okay trade-off. I mean, when they're, when, before you have technology that can have, see, we just think of like, there's this overabundance of food at all times and it's just a distribution problem. It was not always a distribution problem, if that's even what it is today. But I think it's a liberty problem. I think it's a policy problem. And I think that like that Coase theorem, isn't it Coase, Ronald Coase, who says that everything will get to its highest and best use if uh, even, he actually amended it later, say even with high transaction costs, like the person who values something the most will end up with it. But uh, so I'm, I'm just saying like you, food will get to the hungry. They might have to work harder if it has to go, it has to be transported into their country. But, you know, the more liberty, the more likely they will be able to have access to that. Crack will get to the crackhead. There you go, baby. (laughs) I love it. Well, that's a good place to step to the next. Uh, Then we can get back to some of the details on, uh, I was talking about who benefits and some of the fallout here, but I want to get to I want to alternate that, what we've been talking about with what Biden and Harris have been saying about the root causes. So when I heard Kamala Harris at the Summit of the Americas say, we need to talk about the root causes, I wasn't as up on the root cause uh, shtick as you were. What's the uh, root causes everywhere? That's like the new catchphrase. 
it's something I've heard when anytime you're having a discussion, they go, look, we need to get to the root cause of this. And by that, they mean we can't just have a little change. We need fundamental restructuring and all the fundamental restructuring results in having a bigger state. It's never like we need right. um, a, a root cause. Totally. Uh, we need uh, change with police. We need to. <laughs> Uh, you know, make Get sure rid of the drug uh, war. <laughs> we can we can make we have to allow people to opt out of funding them, and they need to face competition. That could obviously be the next yeah. thing that comes out of their Get mouth of, when they when they talk right. about police brutality or qualified immunity. And uh, it never is. So it's always, yeah, yeah, we need to get to the root cause, which means I'm not going to sell you something small. We need something big. (laughs) Yes, yes. And only a big government can usher this in. So that's what they mean by root cause. Where I'm, I actually believe that they are creating this crisis to sell us those solutions, which have absolutely nothing to do with this crisis, that they fabricate the crisis, not just do the policies abroad create a kind of, um, duress, migration under duress, not only does it do that, which are not the migrants you really want, it would not be natural, but I feel like they create really uh, obvious, um, sensationalistic problems on the border so that people will call out for a solution. And so it's not just that they're selling you that thing because that's their favorite solution. They're creating a problem that they can hang these solutions onto. So let me just read to you the three buzzwords each from Harris and Biden. So I, I my I, my ears were I was all ears with uh, Harris because I was confident I knew the reasons for immigration, the root causes, and I thought, what on earth? I mean, that would be great. <laughs> you know, let's hear. It. I'll give her a chance. Finally, I knew it would make someone I, this smart. Wow, she's my hero. Stupid Murray Rothbard. Why didn't he tell us this? He actually, he changed his mind on immigration, but let me, okay. We can talk about that later. She says why they want to leave one, two, three, four. Okay. I'm going to, so economic insecurity. Okay. But that's in my mind. Yes. Maybe it's her root cause, but what's the root cause of their economic insecurity? That's, we've already talked about that poverty again. Why? And I would say just uh, bad policy and, and closed borders. Like, honestly, I feel like trade restrictions and labor movement restrictions. These are the reasons that we, that money doesn't find its level like water because there are dikes everywhere. And then, uh, violence, Violence is one of the reasons she's a, so that's a gender thing, just so you know. Um, I wish they would at least make it class so we could get back to the root causes of poverty, but it's usually gender because there's nothing you can do about that. It gets half the people pissed at the other half. Uh, what do you think her number one reason, the number one thing she mentioned as a root cause of immigration? Uh, colonialism and imperialism in the past have caused bad situations in the present. That's a great one. Race and property should be her go-tos, but it's climate change. She's looking oh, ahead. No. <laughs> that is, She's looking uh, ahead. Yeah. Race is yesterday's lever. We are looking to climate change. And, uh, and then in the White House document from February, so this is her from, I think, this year, and this is from a year ago. Uh, he says it's violence lack of opportunity, and instability. Now, I would say all three of those things, or at least instability, is a function of our interference, especially in South America. When you see what they've done in Bolivia, in Venezuela, um, Cuba, and all the the hidden hand of the, I don't know if it's the deep state or some corporate deep state or whatever, but it emanates out of the U.S. or the globalist corporations, that is, I think, the foundation of the instability. Because remember, they didn't have like an American colonialism or an English colonialism where English sent their people over and they set up shop. They had a kind of colonialism where I I think, I could be wrong, but I'm a little bit of a dilettante on history. I try, but can't know everything. Uh, But I think they had like uh, counts come over and stuff, and they would run plantations of slaves or indigenous people. And they didn't actually have a population that brought with them common law or the enlightenment principles, or even like the religion that was consistent with the overlords, the underlords, which is what you know, justifies them 
know, Christian people acting like these underlings were um, not human, you know, they didn't have their own rights because they weren't baptized. And of course they didn't baptize them perhaps. But anyway, so I'm saying like they had a different, so when you look at that country, when you have like a lot of indigenous people wanting something from their government, I have sympathy for them not trusting. It's more like the European feudalism thing where like you, you already took all the land. Like we don't have the opportunity. So how do we get it back? Do we nationalize all the land? Do we have a socialist system? I can understand the roots of their issues. And I feel like um, I would leave them to it. I would leave them to it. And instead, I think, you know, the next thing you might do is to try to proselytize liberty and really help them solve their problems of that, like already captured land from a libertarian perspective. But instead, we do the exact opposite, which is double down on the mercantilism, double down on a kind of neo-feudalism with globalist corporations that have an advantage over there that I, I, I don't know how to set up a banana company, you know, but I know mm-hmm. that the uh, United Fruit does. When it comes to uh, as far as should we be trading with them, look, the, the reality is mega corporations have done the best job of creating wealth in uh, in these third world countries. Sweatshops originally started in Japan, then they increased well-being in Japan. Everywhere they go, they increase the standard of living. Generally speaking, there are fascist accounts where they make the people worse off than they otherwise would have been. But what you're talking about is the bare minimum, what at least we, English-speaking Americans, can at least advocate the government stop coercively interfering. This way we could have a pedestal to stand on when we promote the ideas of liberty. Because everyone laughs when it's like, oh, Putin is uh, committing war crimes. Oh, oh. How can you even say those words out loud without, you know, realizing the boomerang effect of Joe Biden saying such a thing? So maybe that would give us a bigger pedestal to stand on and maybe they'd be better for it. You know, I I get a little annoyed when we subsidize infrastructure in this country and that lowers the prices of things and and thereby promotes consumption at the expense of leisure or family time that it wouldn't because it makes consumption relatively cheaper than it otherwise would be. And maybe they have a different value system. Maybe there is more to culture than I give uh, credit to. But I would I would ask you this is totally a divergence. But let me just ask you this. If you're in a country like I don't know where they do it this way. I don't know if it's Egypt has any gas or whatever, but in this country, the people in Oklahoma, when I lived in Texas, I knew Okies who were the richest people I'd ever met in my life. I mean, you know, dads with overalls and no teeth and these kids were building $25 million houses because they owned the mineral rights under their land, like down to the ground and up through the, and the same thing in Pennsylvania. Like I knew people who just, you know, they had gas rights and never had to work again. And, um, so, so once land or mineral rights or whatever are absorbed by either a very powerful private entity or more likely in those places, the government, would you just say, privatize all that? Um, you know, what if they don't have quite, uh, you know, the, the documentation of the land that their families occupied for a 10,000 years that was appropriated by Spanish colonials. You know, how do you deal with that legacy? Uh, best thing you could do is start leading by example, recognize it was wrong then for the property rights violation to take place and have as many property rights as you can. Now, the biggest thing would be making sure there can be a free exchange of money, investment and ideas between America, the people who have successfully done this and the people who need to learn how to do this because building the skills, it's not about just pumping money or Zimbabwean dollars into uh, a poor country. It's about building the skill set and letting them get their foot in the door to start seeing what works. By works, I just mean something that they like doing or that they the, uh, the benefits exceed the cost. Maybe they're going to be a bunch of Christian monks and live on rice all day. They don't have to be wealthy and have buildings like skyscrapers. So um, recognize the past injustice and do everything you can to make sure you're not perpetuating the same injustice, unlike the Democrats. I would, you know, that you really um, pointed out something. Help, help me understand this a little better. Yes, what we what we cannot really truly ever do without a case by case legal, uh, um, you know, trial with documentation. You really are not going to be able to right past wrongs. You're really, really not. You you could try to do it from a collective point of view, but you're right. It, that's not. 
probably the best answer. The best answer might be inconsistent with this. The third time I brought this up and this is my favorite guy. So this, uh, I'll tell you a funny quote by Coase if we ever have time, but the Coase theorem that the, that the highest and best use of the property will, you know, property or an asset or whatever will find its level. It will get to its highest and best use. So that's why if you win a lottery, a lot of times you're like broke after a while, but Warren Buffett's always mm-hmm. going to get everything. <laughs> he's just good mm-hmm. at getting money and he's going to use it wisely. He's going to, or, you know, whether you like him or not, let's say it's, uh, he's got a higher value for it for the assets than somebody who really doesn't know what to do with it. So you would end up in probably a, you would not only have more prosperity very soon in the country as those assets got put to better use, but then you would start with a position of real justice, which I agree with you is founded in the great Rothbardian premise, you know, principle, first principle, don't touch me or my stuff. Completely agree. Okay, great. So we hit our all of our root causes. I would say let's talk about the solutions. So we have, I have a list of the things that I think would be solutions, but for and I want to hear yours. But first, I want to tell you what what Biden's are. Please so, do. Yes this this is a, I think it's a presidential action, although. Uh, it has to be an executive order because it eliminates Trump's executive orders. It's an executive order from February 2, 2021. And <clears throat> it has, in a nutshell, it has two, two parts that are going to solve the immigration problem. And they are, it is going to establish a root causes strategy and a collaborative management strategy. So I took the liberty of condensing this. So I'm going to tell you what each of those are if you if you have a couple of minutes. And then we'll, of, then we'll I, wrap I it up demand with, to hear that. <laughs> then we'll wrap it up with libertarian solutions. Okay. So the root causes strategy, they are going to do three things. The first big overarching thing is coordinate place-based efforts in the Northern Triangle. So the target here is Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. And uh And just as an aside, when Trump was being impeached for the for for withholding like four hundred million dollars of aid from Ukraine because that was congressionally authorized because he was demanding something from them at that exact same time, he was withholding almost that exact same amount of money from those three northern triangle countries uh waiting for them to sign off coercing them to sign off on the like asylum cooperation agreement something like that which i always suspected was a way to out to put infrastructure money to like give building contracts for these like warehouse immigrants offshore where people wouldn't see it here but they could still pay off their cronies so that was a big thing that trump was doing and they did capitulate and they signed all that stuff and th- that's a lot of what Biden got rid of in this executive order thing. But yes, yeah, so it's going to be place-based. All right, so so place-based, which means they're going to the other country and they're going to, and this is like really overarching. Basically, if you ask me, it's it, it would just take over their entire country. These are the five things under the place-based efforts. Combat corruption, strengthen democratic governance and rule of law, promote human rights, labor rights, and a free press, prevent violence, extortion, and it's... and the other crimes of organized crime, combat sex-based crime or violence and domestic violence, and address economic insecurity and inequality. I mean, they shouldn't even be doing that here. (laughs) Right? I mean, think about that. Can you imagine they're going to fight crime? They're going to have force equality. They're going to right gender and sex-based violence, uh, organized crime, that's got to go. Uh, free press, they're going to enforce that in these other countries, and they're going to strengthen their governance and their rule of law. I mean, does that sound like a little bit of overreach or what? Well, it, it is more of a blank check than uh, I could have ever imagined. I would have predicted that they'd be just super vague. We're going to promote democracy because that's what it was with Ukraine. Victoria Newland said since 1991, we've spent $5 billion promoting <laughs> democracy in Ukraine. And so what I thought the logos it would be behind her? And, and what? Yeah. <laughs> Chevron right. and Exxon. 
so, um, th- so the more vague and uh, the more things you list, well, then anything could uh, c- could count as those. Considering they go uh, climate change, yeah, that has to do with immigration. Well, here I've got a little Everything of that too. Is interconnected. What? Here you go. So, so there, he's demanding like a comprehensive plan for all this. That this executive order is demanding Biden demanding that uh, his like Department of Labor, S- State Department, everything like puts their heads together and put meat on those bones. Uh, they also, this is kind of weird to be like the top three things. They want to ensure compliance with the Dominican Republic Central American Free Trade Agreement. Demand compliance. That sounds like a police force, you know, international police force. And then the third thing under this um, one of two strategies they're implementing is encourage. Now, this, I think, is really bad. I really, really this is the one I hate the most, believe it or not. Encourage deployment of domestic resources for sustainability. Can you imagine taking a poor country and forcing them to put their money in something that was going to make them poorer? It makes me want to puke. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that's uh, the uh, the moral case for for fossil fuels that is constantly being made. They say, yeah. look, this is uh, the, the process of growth that countries have to go through. If progressives have something better, please uh, pro, uh, provide it for the rest of us. Just let people opt out of funding it. Uh, surely it's such a great idea that we'll all just choose to associate uh, ourselves with it. But that blank check allows them to monopolize all the resources it's and say sick. – yeah, we just have to make sure uh, you uh, have gotten your social credit score or your envir- your ESG score uh, is accurate, and then we'll let you. And it's for the greater good of the climate. But one and of the one of the scams. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just it keeps them poor and encourages them to get debt that they're never going to be able to repay, and that monopolizes their commodity resources and their human resources as well in to infinity. Exactly. Sorry. But while well, they've racked up $30 trillion in debt. I know. They're, they're, We're they're the really rich frugal. ones. <laughs> they're really, really frugal, uh, except, you know, well, when it comes to uh, the, themselves. So one of the great lies that uh, allows these things to uh, are, uh, be perpetrated as widely as they are is the wisdom that it's not about what do we want. It's about who will decide. So you can say, I want good education. I want countries to be wealthy. I want everyone to have access to health care. You and the communist and the fascist can all agree on that with the best of intentions. The question is, who will decide? Who has the knowledge and the incentives to make these decisions? And who isn't actively conspiring against you yes. in the process? That's yes. usually left off the table. So when they say all these good things, it never comes comes to mind. Well, who's going to be doing this? So I pulled this up, uh, the, this uh, link you sent me, whitehouse.gov, the nerve they have yes. to write this. Uh, but still, nothing's going to take. Uh, here comes, uh, 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 for the unvaccinated, a winter of uh, death and despair for the rest of you. That was my favorite, whitehouse.gov. Uh, yes, yes, that comment. was excellent. That was okay, the, dark, so, the dark winter. So let me uh, so, tell you. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, so the combating corruption, strengthening democratic governments, and advancing the rule of law. Uh, These things that, first of all, as we said, are so general, the American government is horrible at these things. Look at the amount of money going to corrupt governments in Ukraine or all the dictators around the world or uh, the amount of uh, welfare that is uh, given to people unjustly or taken from others. Uh, They call any – if you vote for uh, Trump or Brexit – you're an evil populist. But if you vote for other things, well, that's democracy. So even democracy, they can't get right. They don't even stand by that principle. They call you a hateful bigot. So because the who is just as vitally important as the what, they don't even abide by these standards themselves. So they should be the last people that you look for uh, to implement them anywhere else. Well, and as you as you say that uh, who is going to be in charge – they have a the part two of this big strategy. The second strategy thing is the collaborative management strategy, where they want to centralize control of all the migration, which is basically what that that um, asylum cooperation agreement, if I could read that correctly, all the stuff that Trump did. So they negated it and they act like it was totally inhumane. But I feel like they're replacing it with something stronger and bigger. And they're making all of this under the, the guise of Trump was so uh, inhumane that we need to make up for lost ground. So it could have been Trump played right into their hands, wittingly or unwittingly. Let me tell you just that there's only a few things under the collaborative management strategy, but it's it's definitely has the potential to be a little bit scary. 
So regional governments and international organizations, big philanthropy, civil society, hate that expression, all of that are going to coordinate with the U.S. for three things, uh, four things, programs and infrastructure that facilitate access to protection and lawful migration near their homes. So I feel like this is that offshoring of infrastructure spending that I thought Trump was going to do. They're going to build like refugee facilities and infrastructure closer to where people are coming out of, maybe within their own countries, maybe across the border, but they're going to coordinate cross-border. Then they also want, this I thought was interesting, they want refugee resettlement funding and not just protection and refugee stuff, they want labor programs that include funding and training for both the people who migrate and the people who stay. So it's government money, again, training people to go, I don't mind the sweatshops, but I don't want to have to taxpayer dollars train foreign workers for foreign sweatshops And you know what I'm saying? Like, that just, that is not right. Like, let the market find its level. Then they also want to expand shelter networks. Uh, Yeah, so it was just three things, but they did go through and rescind all of Trump's stuff. And I think they just are going to replace it with something bigger. Again, skill building. Uh, how it, This is so obviously just them wanting to control the situation. Imagine saying that I really want to help uh, build the skills and rating abilities of people. Therefore, everyone should be forced to fund the Mormon church, and the Mormon church will be sent to countries to help them read. And the Mormon church is going to regulate which books have accurate information and inaccurate Obvious scam. If anyone else does this, <laughs> obvious scam. But uh, for some reason, uh, the, uh, the, the these uh, people just uh, get cheered. Uh, th- there's no uh, reason to believe that this would uh, increase um, the, the well-being because they're not getting to uh, the, the root causes of, uh, and, of private property and free exchange. And that's where we're going. But I have to say, of all the years that I've just been staunchly anti-government, I now recognize that there are, when you saw Kamala Harris's suggestions here, that she wanted to, um, you know, make sure you bank the poor and uh, interfere in a lot of really specific hands-on ways in the economy, what where the investment would go, um, that you would force those countries to open their doors to the global corporations. I hear what you're saying, but it definitely feels like the hand of some very powerful global corporations that are no longer just free market entities providing the best uh, products, the best style. They use their government access to keep us from having that kind of competition that would bring prices down, which would give us the opportunity to start our own companies, like the barriers to entry are the thing that drives me crazy. I mean, that's where I am. So let's uh, let's wrap with this. I had a few. I, I wrote an article which you did the uh, me the courtesy of reading. Thank you, and I will put in the show notes along with your um, the link to the PDF. So I'm going to ask you to repeat um, at the end of this. So I had said, like, given that we don't have a free society, what things can we do to help? Uh, I always like to take away bad policies that create problems. Even if you don't have a totally free society, I don't want, I'm never going to tell you what policy to implement, but I might tell you what policy to eliminate. So I would say uh, that we should stop interfering with foreign countries militarily, politically, or economically. We should eliminate all labor laws and uh, welfare here, like uh, completely, and eliminate college subsidies, which I think create an unemployable class of people who do not understand the NPV of the degrees they are borrowing to get, that it's not clearing with the NPV of their loan value. And then I would say restore freedom of association on private property. I would not allow, I would restore the constitution and not allow anybody's votes or representatives to impair our foundational law. And I would, I would, this might go to something that you might be interested in or maybe not as a way to disconnect the connection between voting and the right to work and travel, I would say if you, uh, in order to vote, you have to be able to have a political conversation in English. Otherwise, you really can't be fully informed with all of the information because I'm guessing the stuff that comes out in Spanish is highly biased, for example. And uh, I might even say that you could have illegal entry disenfranchisement so you can have amnesty, but if you if you entered illegally, you just never get to vote in this 
life. Your kids can vote because they were born here, but you just get disenfranchised. Nobody came over for the right to vote, I don't think. Or maybe, uh, yeah, so maybe you make for immigration the citizenship or the right to vote like being president. You have to be born here mm-hmm. or 35. Either of those is fine with me. Or both yes. of those would be fine with me. <laughs> I, <laughs> or no I, voting I, at all. No voting at all would be fine too. I love uh, uh, I love uh, all those. Ones that come to mind, if I had to come up with specific steps that are realistic. First of all, what is realistic um, is not exactly uh, something people are great at predicting. Very few thought Trump was going to win. Very few thought Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. Very few uh, thought the Soviet Union would fall or slavery after existing everywhere would go away. The point is, is that it's okay to be a little ambitious. So one of the things that comes to mind is a my money, my choice, or a my labor, my choice piece of legislation that just says if you want to opt out of funding things, you have the right to do so. This, of course, is like the ultimate ask for what we want. But by using their language, speaking on their terms, we're uh, able to uh, achieve our ends indirectly. Uh, other things that come to mind, uh, decriminalizing all capitalist acts between consenting adults. So just as we should have freedom of marriage, that contract is legitimate because it's voluntary between consenting adults. We're just going to extend that to the economic sphere. Again, that's us getting all uh, the, the things that we want using the la- using language the public is already familiar with. We're not asking them about Austrian business cycle theory exactly. Um, and then a yes, uh, and, oh, no, no, right. uh, and then a separation of uh, education and state for the same reason. You shouldn't be forced to fund the Catholic Church or the Church of Scientology. If you want to opt out, that's uh, totally legitimate. If you think something's better. Um, then uh, you could uh, send your kids elsewhere. Uh, also, uh, decriminalize uh, child labor. But maybe that, <laughs> m- maybe we're getting into the unrealistic. Oh my gosh! Thing. But but right. just think about uh, I love but that. but think about the fact that kids can work <laughs> Kate, uh, every day, five days a week, five hours a day, uh, for zero dollars an hour. Uh, at school, but they can't get paid to do so. And they have to go home and do homework and they never get compensated. So all this means is you're just decriminalizing a thing they already do for $0 an hour. You can now compensate them for. That's true. You could get them to code, pull them out of school and get them to code. Uh, That's a little too much for me. I'm not saying that you... (laughs) I need child labor laws. And I, that my favorite parks and recreation quote from like the libertarian guy, which is always true. It's like the libertarian guy, like he always says stuff I totally think is true. Is like child labor laws are ruining this country. And I'm laughing. People are just like, yeah, he's, you know, like he's nobody's hero. Like he's the jerk. And I'm like, oh, really? Cause he's like always right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. O- or when he takes this little girl's uh, homework assignment and he goes, that's how FDR ruined this country. And FDR is like the hero of, uh, of the average American. So, okay. But the only reason I was saying that that one might be less realistic is we'd have to change the wording in, uh, in such a way, but those three decriminalizing capitalist acts between consenting adults, separation of education and state and a, my money, my choice policy. Those could be our, th- our, our three bullet point lists to compete with Miss Harris, uh, uh, officer Harris, I should respectfully say. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, this is so, when I wrote that article, I got so many, like, uh, a lot of activity in the comment section, let's say. <laughs> so I am a little curious. I was, I, you, I felt so at ease with you, Keith, that I just, you know, whatever said things maybe casually without the kind of kid gloves that probably not my audience, but maybe your audience. I, I doubt that, but I think that this is a subject that gets really saddled with, I mean, it's like nothing could be more perfect for all the identity politics, um, guilt and misconstruing and, you know, take the logic out and just have to emote over it. Just having a conversation about ideas. I actually led with, not intentionally, but in the the part one of this, I led with the fact that I felt bad for those people in Martha's Vineyard because they they probably have dignity and I don't like that. And you know, maybe they got themselves in that position, but I don't know because I don't know them and I don't know, I don't know the backstory of how they got on that plane and got flown from Florida to you know, if the story they're telling us in the press is real or not, I really don't know. But uh, we are just exchanging ideas and I really enjoy it. And you're super fun to talk to. And I want you to tell people if you've got any parting comments, go for it. And also just remind people where they can find you and about those uh, awesome books that you guys have uh, right now. 
So we have a number of uh, books at uh, libertarianinstitute.org uh, you could check out. We have articles every day. We have blog posts if you don't like reading that long. We have podcasts. We have videos. Just uh, check out the website. Go to the search engine and type in anything politics, history, philosophy related. We have uh, a great collection of the works of Sheldon Richman, a book titled um, What Social Animals Owe to Each Other. This is, I think, 30 or 50 articles that he has written that he has said, here are my top 50 things that I've written in the last 50 years. I think he's been writing for, because 40 something years ago, he was with Joe Sobran to, uh, making the case against U.S. entry into oh the gosh. Gulf War. Yeah. Joe Sobran was a philosophical anarchist. So that's where I ripped off a philosophical agorist. I love Joe Sobran. Oh, that's excellent. So and if you really love Joe Sobran, check out the Voluntarist Handbook. He has a chapter in here called The Reluctant Anarchist. And Oh my gosh. That. Oh, that's so great. One yeah. of the first blog posts I ever wrote was about Joe Sobran. Well, yeah, uh, he was great. The reason it's so important, and I put him in this uh, book collection, uh, The Voluntarist Handbook, this is uh, 50 articles that convinced me, things that I came across over the years that convinced me to go from being a progressive to a conservative to a voluntarist. The reason that's so important is Sobrin had a big conservative identity and social status. For 18 years, he was the senior editor for National, National Review. National Review, for which, sure. Uh, with William Buckley. So he came out and he goes, I made friends with Rothbard and I thought it was interesting, but I wasn't convinced. And then I spoke with Hans Hoppe and it's basically something called the myth of the rule of law, which Sobrin uh, claims really wow. uh, changed his uh, worldview. So pl uh, please check uh, my book. I'm going to skip There's, ahead and read uh, that first. My book specifically, The Voluntarist Handbook, you can find a free PDF uh, at libertarianinstitute.org. Uh, the links will uh, be right there for you on odysseyandarchive.org. Any of the chapters could be read in any order. Um, I intentionally uh, made it that way. It's not uh, chronological or anything. I really uh, hope people uh, enjoy the book. Monica, thank you so much for having me on. Well, what's also your Twitter handle? Because I know that you that people can communicate with you that way. I'm not too proud of what I tweet, but I will say no you way. can follow me. Seriously? We have you know fun there. Come on. <laughs> we do have fun. We do have fun. But if I'm leading with professionalism. You don't have to. If you don't want to give it out, don't do it. It's at A-N underscore capitalist. My name is Voluntarist Keith on there. Very nice. Okay. I always, I try to end the show with a little white pill with a takeaway. Some oh, over One more black pill before, b uh, okay. before the white pill. Give me the pill. black pill, but I'm going to white pill you. The good, good, good. I want to end on the, the uh, on the white pill. Uh, the article I couldn't think of the name is from April 29th, ninth, twenty twelve. New York Times: Terrorist plots helped along by the FBI. Fourteen out of the last twenty two. Look at the were URL. FBI agents. Look at the uh, URL. It says. Look, read the, what the URL's title is. That terrorist plots helped along by the FBI. No. Oh, it's not hatched. No, uh, that, that's point, not the one I hatched. Have. Yeah, oh, it was actually hatched by the FBI, which I thought was funny because helped along is not as bad as hatched. I bet you can find that if you look up. Uh, yeah, just says, of the 22 the most frightening yeah. plans for attacks since 9-11 on American soil, 14 yeah. were developed in sting operations. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, I said that guys. on the on the radio once, and I got a lot of pushback, but I had that to back it up. And, of course, who's going to dispute the veracity of the New York Times? So, right there, right. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a statement against interest. So, All right, so in the end, my takeaway is the best and possibly the only solution to the immigration problem is a free society. That's where I'm going to end it. I am Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Many, many, many thanks to my dive buddy, in this case, Keith Knight. <laughs> <laughs>